awesome experience that we're having. Thank you. What you got, brother? Karen did? Way to go. Way to go, Karen. March 14th, that's Tuesday. Tuesday night at uh, the Baptist Church, uh, Carrie. This is Yuma Aglow. And, uh, oh, and Josh and Tammy are, are, are speaking. Is that right? Well, you need to come and co- go that 6 o'clock for food, 7 o'clock for worship and speakers. Josh won't probably preach more than an hour. And so it'll be good and you'll be blessed. So anyway, that, that's great. Thank you guys. And thank you for reminding and making it, making Karen making Josh come up. So praise the Lord. So anyway, praise the Lord. Well, look at with me if you would. We're talking about walking in God's awesome future. Started two weeks ago. We intended to start the second message last week and God interrupted us. Oh, by the way, I got a call um, from from um, one of our watchers. We have uh, had 170, I think, um, last week that, that watched. Um, over the whole week, and I think there were 10 or 11 states uh, represented, um, and uh, uh, if you could see the kind of map, it has these big circles that tell us how many people, not really tell us how many, but the bigger the circle is, the more connections there are, and, and so we had nine connections in Iowa last week, and one of them was Susan Miller. Does anybody remember Susan Miller? And Ashley, red-haired teenager that came through our group, Ashley graduated from I'm Smarter Than You University and and is a rocket scientist, literally, and uh, had, was involved in the last launch that was down. She actually made the Yuma paper, I believe. Um, but anyway, um, uh, Susan called and said it was just the most awesome service. And I thought, did you go to the same service we went to? Because all she could see for about 45 minutes were the words to the song. She couldn't see what was happening here because we were doing communion and praying for people. But uh, God touched her heart and she reached out and we prayed with, I prayed with her. And, and so anyway, welcome Susan if you're watching today. Uh, blessings upon you. Thank you for still loving us from a distance. So praise the Lord. Had about uh, six or eight contacts in, in Texas as well. And, and so it was just, it's just been awesome. And, and, uh, uh, you know, the lion's share of our stuff happens in, in, in Colorado, Nebraska and Wyoming. We have a group of nine connections, um, that happen up in Laramie, around Laramie. So I don't know exactly who we have up there, um, doing that, but what an awesome deal that is. And, and so, you know, I just hope God touches your heart if you're watching with us, uh, online, whether it's today on Sunday or whether you watch the live, presentation we don't edit our services down you get the whole picture and then at the end we save just the sermon after the week so anyway look with me if you will please at galatians chapter 5 verse number one it says let me be clear the anointed one has set us free not partially but completely and wonderfully free We must always cherish this truth and stubbornly refuse to go back into the bondage of our past. You say, your Bible doesn't say that. The Passion Translation says that. And it's awesome. Look what he says at the tail end of that. Stubbornly refuse to go back into the bondage of our past. If you're like me, you came into Christianity with a pretty clear knowledge of what you used to be. You had a pretty clear knowledge of how you used to think. 
And throughout whatever amount of time you've spent just communing with God, God has consistently and in some ways continually given you a new focus and a new way to think. And He's asking you to stubbornly refuse to go back. You say, well, I liked it better when I got in my way. Listen, if you're the smartest person in your circle, you've left God. God's smarter than us. And, and he, he, he wants to help us. He wants us to walk in, in, in freedom. He set us free. The Bible says, this is my version, I'm reading from the New King James. It says, stand fast therefore in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. See, he set us free through what he did. He said, and be not entangled. Don't get wrapped up with the yoke of bondage. And I love the language of, of that because a yoke, uh, I used to just kind of dive into these things and, and I had a bunch of uh, older fellas in my church in Nebraska and, and Bill Buffington, hey, I used this scripture one time and Bill took me aside afterwards and he says, you don't understand a yoke. When I came to this church, Dale Kirkenslager took me aside and said, you don't understand a yoke. This is a very large piece of wood, oftentimes with a U-shaped thing underneath it that keeps the neck of two animals equal. One can't move without the other one moving along, I think, because it'll rub their neck. And so they learn how to walk in unity with the person they're in yoke with. And what Jesus is saying to us is don't walk back into the comfort that represents being yoked with the world. I mean, you could, the time changed this week, and I don't know how many of you were confused when you got up wondering exactly what in the world time is it. I don't know why they have to mess with that. It does not make me comfortable. They should call me and tell me that they're not going to do it anymore. When you slip into the yoke of bondage, you have to walk in a way that makes you comfortable with that yoke. You need to stubbornly keep your neck out of the yoke. I mean stubbornly. You say, well, what does that mean? That means fleeing youthful lusts. That means walking away from stuff. Listen, you can't get better by corrupting things. You cannot corrupt your way to blessing. You can't walk in sin and say, oh boy, I met Jesus. He wants you to be free. But when you're under that yoke of bondage, you'll walk in a position of comfortableness just so the yoke doesn't bother you. And you'll try and convince yourself that walking in that level of bondage is what you should do. I wasn't much of a partier or, 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 or drinker. I probably could have been. I have an addictive personality. I just was addicted to other things. I was addicted to basketball when I was young. I replaced that with an addiction to money. I was really good at both of those things until God said no more. And that was kind of hard. And then I got addicted to Jesus. And God, well, yeah, but see, you can hoot and holler now because that was a long time ago. I wasn't hooting and hollering because God said to me at some point in my life that I shouldn't be playing basketball anymore. I didn't like that. I could still run fast and jump high. At some point in my life, God said, I own everything that you have. I didn't like that either. 
Did you know that if you'll yoke with Jesus, he'll make you comfortable about him owning everything? Here's what's happened over the years. It's now not my responsibility to lead my church. If God doesn't lead you all, you're in trouble. If you don't submit to his leadership, you're in trouble. It doesn't make any difference what I say. You say, well, yes, it does. We're following you. Yeah, follow me carefully. Because if I take a turn and, and it's outside of God, don't follow. Okay? If we start holding our, our, our church services at a bar so that we can have hot wings and beer. There's nothing wrong with hot wings and beer. I don't care. Go out and do it. We're not having church there. I'm not going there. You won't find me there. You say, well, didn't you ever go to the bar? No, I really don't. If I'm going to drink, I'm going to drink secretly. Come on, Christians. Some of you hide your alcohol in the closet so that the pastor won't see it when he comes for lunch. You need to understand something. The yoke of bondage is meant to create a comfort with who you're yoked with. The Bible says don't be unequally yoked. Why? If you're unequally yoked in your marriage, one of you is going the wrong direction and everybody has a pain in their neck. Does that make sense? When you're equally yoked, there's an agreement and a comfort that's put in that yokedness. Amen. Don't be unequally yoked, people of God. It won't work. So anyway, God has a future for us. We talked about that in the first week. And, and uh, you can go back and look at that a couple of weeks ago and see it. And so here's your first quote. I don't think we got to this the last time. But it takes courage to walk into a future God says is awesome when our experiences have yet to prove, out, prove it out to our satisfaction. Here's what I mean by that. Leave that quote up so people can write it down. It won't hurt you to write this down because what happens is the appetite that we have for success and for what God has for us cause us to slip in and out of the yokedness. So occasionally if the world says, well, we got to do this, then we'll slip over into the yoke with the world. And I'll tell you, we, we slipped into several yokes with the world over the last three years. Where it was comfortable to be in that yoke. And we know God has a good future for us. But we haven't yet experienced it. Right? We are the Thomases of God's promises. Well, let me see it, God. Well, blessed is he who does it without seeing it. And that's what we're talking about. How do we walk into a future that God promises when our experiences, literally our past, don't always align with that to our satisfaction? That's what's called appetite. All of you sitting here have appetites. It's 11 o'clock. Really, it's only 10 o'clock. So those of you who are hungry, you're only hungry because you looked at the clock. Not because your body is hungry, because you ate supper last night at the normal supper time, and you ate breakfast this morning at the normal breakfast time if you did, and now that it's 11 o'clock, your clock in your head is telling you, okay, he's only going to speak for about 30 more minutes, and at that point we'll get to go have lunch. It'll still be an hour earlier than it was yesterday. Amen? 
Why is that? Because our appetites have a focus of satisfaction. Our appetites have a focus of satisfaction. How many ever went to your restaurant that you like, ordered a thing you like, and had it not be something that you like? Right? You went there and went, well, they didn't do it right this week. You know, when you ask for whatever you're asking for, I asked for a medium rare hamburger the other day at this place, and I got it, and it wasn't by any stretch of the imagination medium rare. It was hard. It was dry. I didn't want to pay for it. I had an attitude. Why? Because my appetite has an expression of satisfaction. Okay? Are y'all, are y'all tracking with me? So when God says, hey, I got an awesome future for you, our appetite kicks in for what we believe is awesome. We said, oh boy, that means, and away we go. There are three difficulties with understanding this satisfaction principle with appetites. Here's the problem, first one. Our satisfaction is often based on a misfocused appetite. Our satisfaction is often based on a misfocused appetite. Put up First John, please. Did you all get that written down? If you want that, you can get it on our notes in the in the U version. I, I assume it's in there. Jeremy came running up to me when I got to church this morning. He says, "What are you preaching today?" I said, "I'm going to try and preach what I thought I'd preach last week." He said, "Well, we'll see how that goes." <laughs> exactly. We're doing good. We're kind of getting there. Because if we're going to walk into freedom, we're going to have to understand that our freedom is based on an appetite-related satisfaction. Right? You hunger for... If I was teaching little kids right now, I'd have me some cookies up here. How many of you ever watched um, um, Sesame Street? How many of you remember the Cookie Monster? Okay, when he was... He said, mm, cookies... Right? And then he would grab cookies. Now, he would throw it into his little puppet face. And he would chew it, you know, with his puppet face. And stuff would come out all over. He was always hungry for cookies. But he's a puppet. He's never satisfied by cookies. He always just says, mm, ah, mm, hungry cookies. See, I can do his voice. If I had a bag of cookies up here, every time I wanted to say something, I'd put one in my mouth and just let the crumbs fall out to show you how unsatisfying hunger is when you don't take into yourself the satisfaction that God offers. See, if you never eat the cookie, if you just bite it and it crumbles out your mouth, the, your, your appetite's never going to be satisfied. If the cookie isn't very good, Miss um, Gwen... <coughs> Miss <coughs> Gwen has made cookies for our grandchildren, and I don't know if she was off, but a couple of weeks ago she came with cookies. And I was trying to realize that the cookies were probably for the kids. But then she said, I even made, I like my cookies about half cooked, okay? I mean, I, I like the goo, okay? And so anyway, um, I opened them up before we left here and had two or three and then I thought, okay, now I'm going to seal them up and put them. And then when we got home, we had two or three more. And yesterday, as we were getting ready and kind of packing, hey, what do we need to take? We're going up to, after church today, we're going up to, to help. By the way, sorry, this is random. Chris and Amber had prayer yesterday from a church they've been following. 
And, and Amber had what she believed was a miraculous happening, felt heat in her back. It was just awesome. It's just awesome. Anyway, anyway, so, so I'm looking and maybe Thursday or Friday I look on the counter and all that's left of those cookies is an empty Ziploc bag. I had an appetite that was satisfied by what was available, but I had to eat them. Are you getting this spiritually? I know you're, you're hearing me talk about food, but there's a spiritual appetite that you've got to process. <clears throat> and sometimes our spiritual appetite says, please, God, please, 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 God. You know, we do that kind of thing. And we tell God, you like, we've really, really prayed about this. You know, we begin to tell God why he should do it because of our greatness. We want God to do what we want. We come up with scriptures for it. And we declare this is what satisfaction looks like. But much of our satisfaction is based on a misappropriated appetite. Thank you for your enthusiasm. How many of you know that if your appetite is worldly, 1 John 2.15 is your scripture? Put that up for me, would you please? 1 John 2 and 15, is that the, is that the scripture? <coughs> Excuse me. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. It's a misplaced appetite. Right? Ooh, I love cookies. It's a misplaced appetite. We love the world. Why do we love the world? Because evidently the world can give us what we want. If you have a misplaced appetite, the world can give you what you want. If anyone loves the world, love the Father, not in him. For all that is in the world, everybody say all. All that's in the world is the lust of the flesh. Now let's stop for just a second. If your appetite is misplaced, it will manifest itself in satisfying the flesh. Right? So you can't walk into God's future with a misplaced or misfocused appetite. For all that is in the world, lust of the flesh, <coughs> that's fleshly satisfaction. Can I be real, real ugly for just a second on all of us? The lust of our flesh was so disappointed in the political season because we had our focus misplaced. And then we came up with unbelievable stories of why. And within the church all over America, they were talking, talking, talking about this. And I want to tell you something right now. If God doesn't change your appetites, my appetites, the church's appetites, we will fall into a satisfaction according to the world. Now, go out and vote. Go out and raise a stink. Do whatever you need to do. But do it for Jesus, please. Okay? Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes. Lust of the eyes and the pride of life. If we were to study these three things, we would find that none of them turn out very well. Is not of the Father, but is of the world. Listen to me. 
There is some difficulty in us processing what the pride of life is. Because we have an appetite for being right. If we're right, we can be, come on, say it with me, prideful. The pride of life in being right. I'm not saying we should be wrong. I'm saying <coughs> we shouldn't elevate the being right thing above the sacrifice of Jesus Christ living out through us. That's the pride of life. Come join us. We'll make you a better person. First of all, we can't make you anything. And if we could, we would have already. Because some of you got problems that we don't want to deal with. They require time and money and prayer and pain and hand-holding and working together. I mean, wouldn't it be easier if we just got married, for an example, and all of a sudden, after 50 years, we, we, we wake up and we go, praise God, that's been the greatest 50 years of all my life. Instead of saying after 50 years, oh boy, I've had at least 25 happy years. My wife had the other 25. Because the pride of life forces the issue in marriage to right and wrong. Ouch. That one didn't feel good. <coughs> when my wife and I got married... I was pretty sure that she must have been raised by wolves because she didn't know which side of the sink the glasses went on. <clears throat> you can ask her. To this day, it's a bit of a struggle for us because I helped her move the glasses and thus started the right and wrong argument. To this day, when I get stuff out of the cupboard, I like to cook. I don't like to clean. I'll come and cook at your house if you'll follow me around clean up after me. <laughs> so if I take a, a spice container out of the, the cupboard, I have learned now. We've been married 47 years. I have learned not to put it away. Want to know why? Because when I put it away, I put it away with the same hands I've been stirring the stuff with. And so the garlic powder has whatever I'm cooking on the outside of it. Tracy, on the other hand, would like that to be cleaned off before it goes back in. Right? And I heard some of you, somebody over here said, yeah, yeah, that's exactly, say it with me, right. Thus starts the argument and the pride of life. Are you seeing how difficult it is with our attitudes and our appetites to walk into God's future because we have a misfocused appetite? Now, I've done easy things. But I just want you to see those things. So here's your, here's your next quote. <clears throat> God doesn't remove the appetite. He instructs us to redirect the focus of our appetite. So now, when, when I get something on the salt shaker, it's almost become a habit for me to leave it on the countertop. And if Tracy doesn't get it put away, and it's not her job to put it away, I wipe it off, generally speaking, most of the time, kind of. <laughs> I wipe it off, put it back up in there. Why? I've redirected the focus of my appetite. I now want her to be right. I've redirected the focus of my appetite in the church. It is so hard for pastors 
in a lot of ways to not become people pleasers. And so they have all these eyes. I mean, you know, 100, 150 people or whatever, 300 eyes, if, if you're looking at me with both your eyes, you know, 300 eyes and you're all looking at me. And, and I can tell sometimes because I catch you frowning when I say something you don't like. You know, when I challenge you, I mean, I've been challenging you since we got started today. We have, as a church in this country, a misfocused appetite. And we love being right. I'm just saying, unity is God's goal. I can be in unity with someone who's wrong without being wrong. You can't. You don't have to jump into that. You can be in the world. You don't have to be of it. He told that to us. That's a redirected focus. <laughs> the Bible says in Matthew chapter 5, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. He tells us what our appetite should be. And we convince ourselves that the expression of that righteousness is what we want. But we take that over into areas like Walmart and their 10-cent bags. We say, well, that ain't right. And after all, that company's got a dang lot of money. And what's their issue with bags? Now, I have a friend who watches our services who works for Walmart in Arkansas. And I said, when this all started, I, I, I shared my attitude. And we were driving up on a Sunday afternoon. We were driving up to see the kids, to help the kids. And my phone rang. I looked down, and it's this guy from Arkansas. He says, you know, Walmart doesn't make that decision. See, it, I wanted somebody to blame. I had appetite. If I can determine who's wrong, I can declare myself right and he says Walmart doesn't do that in fact I found that out if you drive to Nebraska they'll give you a bag if you drive to Arkansas you can't get a bag because it's the state and local governments that's taking the bags away from you which really helps me because now I know the governments are wrong <laughs> and I have a misplaced misfocused appetite I'm trying to change the government. <clears throat> How do you change government? You pass laws. Is that going to work? Probably not. Problem number two. <clears throat> Excuse me. Problem number two. Once free, our unfocused appetites can create opportunities to use our freedom to serve the flesh. Once free our unfocused appetites, we've got to figure out how to focus our appetites, can create opportunities to serve the flesh. Look down, if you would, please, Galatians chapter 5, look at the 13th verse. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty or to freedom. Only do not use liberty, do not use the freedom you've been given as an opportunity to serve the flesh. That's sloppy grace. You can say, well, God will forgive me when you choose to do whatever, but that's sloppy grace. And so our appetites lead us into failure, and then we make that failure compounded by saying, well, oh well, God will forgive us. Of course he will, 
But why do you need to live a lifestyle that demands God's forgiveness every time stupid runs up and catches you? Why not stop doing that? Why not use your freedom to stay free? Opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. Serve one another. Through love. He represents that as a way to keep your appetite focused. He says, don't use your freedom to serve your flesh, but use your freedom through love to serve one another. It'll keep your appetites focused. Isn't that interesting? That's the second problem. Put up that second quote, would you please? God's freedom marks us as blessed by the gospel of grace. When we get born again, God's freedom marks us because of grace. We didn't do anything to get to this place. God did it through Jesus Christ for us. We're free from the dominion of sinful appetites. <clears throat> when you got born again, you didn't have an appetite for sin anymore. But you remembered your old guy who enjoyed sin. And you said, sometimes by grace, well, I guess I can do this because God will always forgive me. And what do we do? We jump into, I thought she was coming up here to preach. And you come to, we'll, we'll jump into these things and we'll think, well, no, I, I, that's, just, that's just my old guy. Well, why don't you quit resuscitating your old guy who's dead? Your decisions are the, are the defibrillator of your, of your future. When you say to your old guy, you can get away with this, you just put the defibrillator down in there and yell clear. And your dead guy is alive because of sin. And you say, well, yeah, I can't really get, I keep doing the same thing over and over and over again. It's because your appetite hadn't been refocused. When your appetite is refocused, you'll have a hunger for things that God says you should have a hunger for. And those aren't cookies. Can you imagine, honestly, somebody being so hungry for the word of God that just kept shoving it in and just dripping out all over them? They literally leak the Word of God because of their appetite. You can't even talk with them without them saying to you, you know what the Bible says. They leak it out. Why? Because their satisfaction has been measured by the hunger they have for God's righteousness. It just comes out of them. See, if you're going to walk in God's future, this is not some charismatic Pentecostal thing. If you're going to walk in God's blessed future, you're going to have to get a hunger for it. Not a hunger for comfort. I'd like to have a new car, bigger house, and a sack full of money. If God gave you a sack full of money, it would only be so that you could learn how to give it away. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 24, something like that says, like he who withholds, you know, loses, but he who gives more than is even required is blessed. It's just awesome. You say, you mean to tell me God wants to bless me so I can give more away? Wouldn't that be an expression of his love? Wouldn't that be a way to keep your appetite focused away from the world? Because the world says, keep everything you can keep. See, I, I got a solution. <clears throat> if you're pretty sure that God wants to bless you through your giving, giving to get, you're in the right place because we'll help you with that. 
I want your attitude and your appetite to be, God, I want to give away everything you've given me to give away. I don't want to give away so I can receive this. Your future is not determined by the quality of your harvest. It's determined by the quality of your seed planting. If you plant the right seed, God will give you the harvest he's been planting for you since he made you. Fearfully and wonderfully, by the way. Right? You say, well, I just got to get a harvest. Well, if you don't plant some seed, there's no harvest in your future. Amen. Notice, if you would, please, in 1 Peter, just, just, just put that up for me, please. It, it's in verse 2 and verse 16. There we go. Chapter 2. This is 1 Peter, chapter 2, verse 16. I like that background a lot better, Jeremy. Thank you. As free, this is, I'm, I'm picking this up in the middle, but God is saying, as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice. Not using your freedom to live under the, the cloak, or I could say it this way, to live under the yoke of a bondage. But as bondservants, someone who literally sells themselves into slavery for the benefit of someone else. A bondservant of God. What's he asking us to do? To be in service to God, literally be yoked together with him. Not moving without him. Having that place of comfort that says, here's how this works. Just get yoked up with God and walk. When he takes a step, you take a, te- a step. Why? You have, see, to do that, you, you've got to refocus. So number two was, once free, our unfocused appetites can create opportunities to use our freedom to serve the flesh. Problem number three. <clears throat> there are some precepts, precepts of the will of God that can only be manifested through the redirected focus of our appetites. Here's what I mean by that. There are some things that God promises in his word that cannot be done through manifestations of the flesh. (laughs) You can't serve God fully by forcing your flesh to come to church on Sunday. You have to live from your spirit man. So there are some manifestations, some things, some precepts of the will of God that can only be done through refocused appetites. Listen, you know the Bible says, 1 Thessalonians 5, maybe 17, it says, pray without ceasing. How many of you know that's in the Bible? I mean, well, why would God tell us to do something unless he knew we could do it? You can pray all the time. But let me ask you this. <clears throat> if you're the only one that's blessed when your prayers are answered... Is the appetite for prayer focused right? When you pray only for you and to get, oh God, please bless me, God, bless me, bless me, bless me. If you're the only one that's blessed by your prayers, your prayer focus is a wrong attitude or a wrong appetite. God wants to bless others primarily. Once you receive Jesus Christ, you have everything. I mean, God doesn't cut Jesus up into little teeny pieces and then give him to you as you can stomach it. You get all of him. And you need to learn how to live in those things, live in that freedom. And so when you pray, you know, when I pray for this church, I pray for this church to have such an abundance that we can reach out and do things that, no one would ever believe a church in Eckley, Colorado could do. And then I want to do it so nobody notices. 
Not about us. It's not about us. Amen. Notice then, if you would please, in John chapter 14, he says in the 12th verse, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. This is God's future. Jesus on the earth saying this. This is God's future for all of us. He says, listen, if you'll believe the works that I do, Jesus speaking, he will do also. So you were designed by God into your future to do what Jesus does. You were designed. And greater works than these he will do. He who, the guy who believes, because I go to the Father. I personally believe that Jesus is up in heaven, elbowing God, saying, hey, did you notice that guy that you made? Do you see what he's doing in your name? Why? Because he's designed us to do greater works. Now you've got to change your attitude and your appetite if you're going to do greater works without it focusing on pride. Right? Well, that's... I remember one time I was in a prayer line and this family came up from our church in, in Imperial... And, and before we could pray, they had to tell me the story of the last time they were in a prayer line with a national minister. And the national minister, when he got to them, said to them, the anointing has lifted, I can't pray for you. Some 40 years later, they got in a prayer line again. Think God had anything for them in that 40 years? But was their appetite affected by what some man did? Even if he was telling the truth, I mean, there's enough problems on both sides of that. You know, pray in faith if you, if you got somebody. I mean, there wasn't anybody that came up in, in Tracy and I's line that we said, well, we got nothing for you today, so go sit down. We had some real specific things for some people. For some people, we had really hard things. They were thrilled when they came up. And he said, hey, this is what God is saying. And they're going, really? I think so. I think you ought to consider it. I mean, those are hard things. If your appetite is misfocused, you'll say, how dare you say hard things to us? God's supposed to make everything easy. Well, I don't know where you read that. But being like Jesus requires a death. Yours. I don't know how easy you think that is. But for you to participate in the death that Jesus provided, it's hard. Do you know that a dead person never overeats? Dead person's appetites never misfocused. A dead person never chooses himself. Can you see how this works? And you say, well, pastor, that's almost impossible. It's not impossible because God promised we could do it. We just got to change our focuses. Put up that last quote, would you please? If the greater works and whatever you ask only benefits you, your appetite needs a refocus. See, if the greater things are just to bring light to you, to bring you into the spotlight, that's not it. That's not it at all. See, the Bible tells us in 2 Peter chapter 1 that God has granted to us all things. All things. That's not the verse I want. 
Next one. Thank you. Sorry. Please put up the next one. <laughs> you might have just seen my poorly focused appetite. Stop making mistakes. Let me be right. His divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Now, this is a painful thing, and so just guard your heart for just a second. But much of what God gives us is lost on the refusal that we have to let it penetrate our appetite. Because he says he's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. How to live like God through the knowledge of him. We recognize those things through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. Next verse, please which have been given to us exceeding great and precious promises. Do you see it? God gave us these things, and he gave us the ability to walk into those things. But now he says things like this, just like he's been saying over the last couple of weeks, I want you to pray for these people. Do it this way. And I look up, and it's taken 45 minutes to do it. And I wonder who's sitting out in the congregation going, what happened to our church service today? Right? And you see people will have that glossed over bored look in their face, which may or may not be true. But because I assume people will have trouble with us taking a turn and not being normal. You know, and I'm still trying to please people. And all of a sudden I recognize my appetite. And I'm going, oh, I gotta, I gotta let God refocus that appetite. So let me tell you how God's refocusing my appetite and how I'd like you to consider refocusing yours. When God speaks to you, consider first how you can do it. When God speaks to you, consider first how you can do it. Don't tell God how impossible it is. Don't tell God what won't work. Don't tell God that you've never seen it before. Tell God. How do I do this? Let's just do it together. Let's stay equally. When I walk into the things that I'm not comfortable with and I know I'm yoked with Jesus, it's a good day. Because you see, I take a step when I need to take a step because Jesus took a step and I'm yoked with him. Oh, we're supposed to be over here. We're supposed to be praying for these people. We're supposed to be doing this. Does that make sense? See, God's divine nature is manifested in having escaped, like so it says, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. That's kind of akin to what we looked at in 1 John. So again, what I want you to see today is I want you to see that walking into God's future can take some courage because what it does it is it causes us to notice that our appetites aren't aligned with what he's given us. He said, I want you to hunger and thirst for righteousness. And we say, well, we do that, you know, and maybe we do it really well on Sundays. But on Mondays, we're kind of our own self, and we don't do that, and we don't live that way. And, and, and we just have misfocused appetites. So you see, God's divine nature is manifested because we've escaped the corruption. We have escaped the corruption. You are not designed for corruption. So when you say, boy, things are bad and it's, you know, kill, steal and destroy. Listen to me. Listen to me carefully. The devil is a defeated foe. If your focus of appetite is on defeating him, you're wasting your time.
He is a gnat in your future. He's just there to annoy you. And, and, and by the way, just squash him. Jesus designed us to have all of our enemies at our foot. Just go ahead and step on him. You say, well, I don't know how to do that. Try. You say, well, isn't there a right way? Don't make it into a formula. The right way is to hunger and thirst for righteousness, to allow God to change your appetite focus. Amen? Did you learn? Next week, we're going to talk about from Psalms, it might be in your notes, it might not, but we're going to talk from Psalms 119. It says, I will walk in liberty for I seek your precepts. When we get together next week, we're going to talk about the precepts and what I'll explain to you what a precept is. But I'm going to, I'm going to talk to you from the Bible on how God gives us these, these principles of understanding that allow us to walk in freedom. These little things you say, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, we, we've got to understand that we were bought with a price. So one of the precepts is God owns you. See, if you realize that, then what you go through is literally Him just spending the currency of your life. You belong to Him. So what you go through doesn't have to be a complaint. Thank you, Jesus, for spending me the way you've chosen to spend me. I am but a servant in your army, God. I'm a quarter that you've put in the vending machine of life. Oof. We're here to serve. Amen? I'll teach you those precepts next week. Stand with me, would you please? Come on, music team. Hallelujah. Oh, Father, we thank you today that you can indeed teach us how to refocus our appetites. We can find ourselves, Father, in that place where we have an understanding that a refocused appetite is a hungering and thirsting after the things you have for us. So we thank you for it today. We thank you, Lord God, for all that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Hallelujah.